You are listening to the My Sister's Cancer podcast. I'm Kayla Crum, registered nurse and writer. And I'm Ella Beckett, social worker and cancer survivor. We're sisters on a mission to care for the cancer community through the sharing of real life stories, a sprinkle of sass, and lots of support. Join us in a new kind of pity party. It's a pity so many of us carry the heavy burden of cancer alone. So let's make it a party and carry it together. Welcome back to the My Sister's Cancer podcast. I'm your co-host, Kayla Crum, here with my sister, Ella Beckett. Last week, if you were with us, you heard us discuss the response to Ella's cancer diagnosis. Um, What to say, what not to say, saying something's better than avoiding it, all of that good stuff, and what our experience was with that. This week, we're going to get a little more technical and scientific and delve into what we like to call Great Aunt Hilda and the variety of cancer. Uh, So if the Hilda part's confusing, we'll get there. But just wanted to zoom out a little bit from our personal experience and give what I'm going to call a mini deep dive into the science of cancer to help explain why everyone's cancer experience is completely unique to them and shouldn't necessarily be compared to others. So I'm going to start off, I'm trained as a nurse, as you might recall, and just give a little definition of what cancer is. I think we all think we know, but if we had to actually write it out, we might be stumped. Um, So cancer is when there's a faulty stretch of DNA in some of your cells, and that little chain of code, if you want to think of it like that, starts telling the cell to reproduce uncontrollably, meaning more and more and more of that cell is produced over and over and over until the space it's in is filled up. So that's why we think of tumors sometimes when we think cancer. Of course, it's much broader than that. You know, skin cancer, you can think of how moles grow uncontrollably. Uh, Blood cancers are a little different because, of course, it's not located to just one area of your body, but uh, the faulty cells do spread all throughout your blood and can eventually lead to tumors in other places. So the main takeaway that I want to emphasize here is that it's one little cell that got replicated, which is normal, happens all the time in your body every day. Something went haywire, the body didn't recognize that it went wrong, and it was able to take control and multiply, multiply, multiply. So at its core, cancer is you, like it's your DNA that has started to take over yourself. It's sort of like a kid's movie where, you know, somebody drinks the potion and their eyes turn like red and then it's like they turn into this other version of themselves. It's almost like that happened to one of your cancer cells and they're starting to take over the rest of your body. So um, I'm going to let Ella talk a little bit about the different types of cancers that might come to mind as normal and also some of the rarer ones and just kind of highlight why this is such a broad discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think a lot of people, when they hear cancer, there's definitely um, a few different types of cancer that come immediately to mind. I think It also depends on the population that we're talking about. You know, there's cancers that are more prevalent specifically for kids. So I think a lot of the main childhood cancers that you think of are typically leukemia, um, different variations of leukemia, uh, sometimes brain cancer. um, And then typically 
a lot of times for young adults, you see a lot of lymphomas. Um, I had Hodgkin's lymphoma. There's also non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, There's just a wide variety. I mean, anything from skin cancer to lung cancer. Um, But then there's also the cancers that you really don't hear a lot about or cancers that are uh, incredibly hard to treat. I think of the sarcomas, those are bone cancers typically, and um, they're a lot harder to get under control, so to speak, harder to treat. Um, there's also, you know, ovarian cancer and pancreatic cancer, a lot of silent cancers that can be there for years without you realizing it. Um, So yes, there are so many different kinds of cancers and even, you know, two different people who have the same diagnosis of the same kind of cancer are going to have a completely different experience with that cancer. And I think it goes back to what you were saying, Kayla, because it's in your DNA, I mean, you can probably speak more to the science of this, but I have to imagine then it's unique to each person. Even the same kinds of cancers are unique to each person because it's your cells and it's your DNA that's doing the reproducing. So it's unique to you. Is that, would you say yes. that's accurate? Yeah, you have that totally right. And that's why cancer is notoriously hard to treat. We have, you know, chemotherapy, radiation, transplants, but a lot of it hasn't advanced over the last quarter, half a century in the same way a lot of other medicine has. And I think that's primarily because of the unique nature of the disease. Um, All of us have mutating cells all the time and our body identifies that and breaks them down. So cancer is something that slips through the cracks. Your body doesn't realize that something went wrong and lets it continue to, to manifest. Um, but because it is your own DNA and it could be a variety of places, you probably remember from high school science, like the terms genes and chromosome and like the different little arms of those little squiggly lines you would see on the PowerPoint um, or overhead projector. I'm really aging myself here. Um Yeah, it could be anywhere in there. So that's why it's so hard to treat. And we are working on targeted therapies. I say we like I'm Mm -hmm. part of the research. That's not accurate. But we as in the scientific community is trying to get more targeted therapies. But that's unfortunately not mainstream yet. So one of the ways that we try to put language around what exactly people have going on is by staging. I'm sure we've all heard like stage four cancer and we kind of know that's supposed to be something bad, but it's usually sort of unclear to people who haven't gone through it themselves, like what all these stages mean, um, how many are there, is one bad, is four bad, all that kind of stuff. So Ella's going to shed some light on what her stage was and then I'll give a little more discussion on how that might play out in other cancers as well. Yeah. So I had stage two Hodgkin's lymphoma um, and we learned very quickly what that meant. Um, 
stages typically progress from one to four. And I believe they divide it by sections in your body. So if the cancer has progressed further down your body, um, then it would be a later stage of the cancer. So for example, if the cancer were only in your upper region in your neck, then I believe it would be likely a stage one. And then as it goes, um, it progresses stage. So I was stage two and I had it not only in my neck and it was also in my chest. And then um, I believe in some armpit area. Can you provide some clarity, Kayla, if I'm saying this correctly? Yeah, I think you're definitely speaking from the Hodgkin's lymphoma perspective, obviously, because that's what you've gone through. Um, my understanding is that you were stage two because a stage one, it would have only been in one lymph node area. Yours was in more than one lymph node pocket. We have little areas. You might have all felt like your swollen lymph nodes in your neck and in your armpits at various times. Yours were in multiple, um, which made it a stage two, but it didn't go below the diaphragm, which is that like membrane that separates your lungs from your guts. <laughs> and so because it hadn't gone below that, that would have made it a stage three if it kind of crossed that barrier. Now I will say that's not necessarily how it works with all cancers. I am also most familiar with lymphoma just because that's your experience. But when you start to think about like brain cancers, um, bone cancers, I mean, some things start in different places in your body. And so each type of cancer has different rules around what makes each stage itself, if that makes sense. So stage one of a, of a brain tumor or brain cancer is going to have a different definition than stage one of a blood cancer. Um, and I believe yeah. they actually call it grade for brain oh, cancer. Oh, for brain? I think it's grade one, grade two. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. See, so I, I understand why people get confused. I mean, we've been pretty immersed in the cancer community and we're confused at points. <laughs> um, but hopefully that gives a little bit of an understanding. You also might sometimes hear like stage 2A or stage 2B. Um, that also can mean a variety of things based on each type of cancer. So when I was reminding myself of what that means in the terms of lymphoma, my understanding was that a was like considered, you know, less aggressive, whereas B was considered a more aggressive cancer. Somebody maybe dropped a ton of weight, had night sweats, sort of more progressed symptoms than somebody with a, a type of cancer. Honestly, though, a lot of this is just us trying to put a name on mm -hmm. the constellation of symptoms and issues people present with. And then that helps guide the best treatment choice for the doctors. But they're making an educated guess I know that sounds terrible. That's not what we want to hear about the medical community. But most of medicine is that we take what we know and we make our best guess and take care of it the best we know how. So all of these numbers and letters are meant to do that and guide the treatment. And then they can change as we go through. So one thing I wanted to call out, Ella, is that you were stage two did your four months of chemo and were declared in remission. But then less than a year later, you relapsed, which surprised me at the time because I thought stage two, you know, it's not four, which everyone talks about like the worst option. 
I didn't even realize relapse was really a possibility if you weren't all the way to four. Four felt like you had to be four and then you might relapse. I, I just had assumed so much about that. Um, and then they just said to us, well, now we consider it an aggressive stage too. So now we need to do a transplant. And I just found that so interesting that didn't make it a four, that it had come back. Because in your case, the stages were based on body location, not incidents of relapse. And that can vary cancer to cancer. Did you find that surprising as well? Do you have any memory of that? I don't know if I found it surprising in terms of it being stage two and it coming back. I think obviously it was just very surprising. The relapse in general was just very surprising. Um, and I think some of that is just you're told that Hodgkin's lymphoma is just a very treatable cancer and that's mm -hmm. great news. Um, but they even told me throughout a lot of it that the odds of relapse were so slim. So I think that's why it was just kind of a slap in the face. Um, and I think I've used that exact phrase on a previous episode maybe, but um, no, I don't really remember thinking that specifically about the staging piece of it. It's probably because I was in nursing school thinking very clinically about it at the time. Um, but that brings me to our next point, which is just the fact that we've said many times in this short <laughs> beginning of this episode already, how different cancer is person to person, type of cancer to type of cancer, and even within you know, your own experience, your first experience of lymphoma, your second, like, I think what point we're trying to make is that don't assume uh, that something is not so bad or the end of the world just because you hear some scary or maybe not scary numbers and letters. Um, sometimes people tell you sort of their clinical diagnosis, including the stage and everything, just because they've found that people are going to ask them, well, what stage is it or whatever, if they don't say it. Um, and unless you're kind of close to the person and have time and, and empathy to talk through what that actually means, making assumptive statements about like, well, at least it's only stage two or, oh my gosh, it's mm -hmm. stage four. Like that's not really constructive. Again, unless you're in a close relationship where you can work through that together. So that brings me to something we heard a lot and that I now catch myself doing. So I really am trying to work on this. It felt like literally everyone as soon as they hear about cancer, say, oh my gosh, my great aunt Hilda had cancer and she, fill in the blank, died, is doing awesome, suffered but survived. She's such an inspiration. So I just put in great aunt Hilda as sort of a placeholder <laughs> for the inevitable person everyone mentions in their life that has gone through cancer. <laughs> and I want to be respectful of the fact that this comes from people, I think, if I'm assuming good intent, I think we have an innate desire to connect through shared experiences. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, one in three Americans gets cancer uh, sometime in their life. So all of us know somebody, even if it's a great aunt you never see, who has had cancer. And so our immediate instinct, I think, when we hear, especially about someone suffering, is to be like, oh, like, I get it. I'm there with you, too. Um I more understand the people who are like, oh, so-and-so had cancer and now they're great. 
it doesn't hit great when you're the person going through the suffering, but but I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to be like, you can come through this on the other side. I, I less understand the people that are like, oh yeah, my aunt had cancer and now she's dead. Like, thanks for telling me that right now. I, I mean, <laughs> that one was less common, but I did get that. <laughs> um, so, I mean, Ella, I'm sure you experienced this too. Oh, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you're right. I think it truly comes from a good place. I think we all want to have that shared connection, but I think something that I've thought about a lot lately is, and this goes for anything that you're going to share with someone, especially if it's something a little bit more vulnerable or intimate, like someone in your life having cancer or you being a survivor or whatever. I think it's always good to kind of pause and ask yourself like why you're sharing that piece of information with that person. Like, because in many ways you're often like centering your own story. Like if someone just told you that they were diagnosed with cancer and you're bringing up, Oh, well I have a experience with that. Or my aunt had that. Like, why are you bringing that up? You know, are you bringing that up to offer support? Like, is that something that's going to be encouraging to that person? Or are you just like automatically so focused on like your stuff? Does that, does it make sense what I'm saying? It does. I think that applies to a much broader range of things we say to each other than what we're even talking about right now. Mm -hmm. Having the self-awareness to (laughs) question why we're bringing certain things up uh, Mm -hmm. is a huge asset. And sometimes you need the help of therapy and or just learning and living as an adult for several years before you realize, oh, I'm saying this for me, not for the person who's here with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I find this now, thankfully we're on the other side. I mean, the cancer journey never really ends, but you've been in remission for over five years. We learned a lot. I mean, heck, that's why we're doing this podcast. Like even this in and of itself can be a little bit, you know, might be taken wrong by someone listening at the wrong moment on their path. So I definitely get that. And I'm trying to remind myself not to jump in when I hear A, of cancer, or B, just somebody going through like a medical diagnosis or emergency, not to be like, oh my gosh, well, when my sister had cancer, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I feel that urge in myself. And I do, for me at least, like I want to impart my wisdom to them mm-hmm. and like save them some of the trouble that we went through. So I get that people have like a good urge 90% of the time. I think there's a way though to do it without centering yourself. So Mm -hmm. just start with the empathy, just like we discussed in the response episode. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with me. That must be so hard. There's no right words I can say. I'm sorry. You're going through that statements like that. And then something that I have done is like give people little care packages you know, once they share something with you, just surprise them a week or so later with like, like we did this once for someone who was actually admitted to the same hospital you were. So, you know, we knew some tips and tricks about that person's actual stay. Like you used certain kind of like lip balm because it's so dry in the hospital and little things like that. Uh, There's ways you can share some of what you've learned in a less direct way that comes off less as finger wagging and less as, you know, making it about you and more as like, Hey, here's a little basket of support with a note that says like, you know, 
always reach out if you want to talk about this more, especially if the person never knew you had this experience. You don't need to like dump that on them as they just told you their news. But you can maybe later kind of creep the door open and be like, hey, I'm here to talk. Does that resonate with you, Ella? Yeah, definitely. I definitely had people like that. Who had gone through it before Um, you? Yeah, I think I've mentioned that too. Like I had someone make me a really sweet care package um, because she had been through a really similar experience. Mm -hmm. I found it interesting how many people in our life suddenly said, oh yeah, I had Hodgkin's lymphoma when I was 20 and I got chemo for a few months and I've never had to think about it again. There were, I don't know, like more than two people like that in our life that we had never known, like adults in our life. Probably, I would say four to five, maybe, that just appeared. (laughs) Um, I thought initially that I would find that really um, hopeful and that I would see that as like a really encouraging thing. But a lot of the time that, I guess the way that they said it and the way that they kind of presented like, oh yeah, like you'll be fine. It felt very dismissive at the time. Like it really rubbed me the wrong way. And yes, on one level you're like, oh, like, look, this person has a family, they have a career, they did this and moved on. Like that's encouraging. And I think that's what they were trying to communicate. But our mom has this thing she says all the time. It's all about approach. (laughs) And she's not wrong. Mm -hmm. The way you say something is probably more important than what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So again, there's a kind way to say like, hey, I want to share with you that I actually went through that. Not trying to say we have the same experience. But if you ever want to talk, I'm here. And also just see me as an example of somebody who made it out. Like, no, there is hope. Like, that's fine. On the flip side, what you got a lot of was like, hey, like, I just want to tell you that it's really not a huge deal. I mean, if Mm -hmm. I remember right, I only had to go get chemo like less than 20 times and I've never had to deal with it again. So like, hang in there. You're just got to power through like that kind of even the upbeat voice, like everything about that. When you just got the worst news of your entire life, like just Mm -hmm. feels so dismissive. Um, So I am so aware of that now, especially Mm -hmm. now that we're putting our words and opinions out there on the internet, like you're still here. Like I try and I'm sure I mess up sometimes to be careful with my language about like some people's sisters don't make it out. And that's not something that I can understand firsthand. And I'm sure I sometimes say the wrong thing. So it's like always so important to at least acknowledge your blind spots, even if you know you're going to mess it up a little bit. Do you have any advice, Ella, for you being the survivor? Mm -hmm. Have you been able to turn around now and kind of learn through trial and error how to interact with people coming up behind you through a similar journey? Um, Were there any like faux pas or like good experiences you could speak to? I think it's really hard. You know, I think I really resonated a lot with what you were saying earlier about like still kind of feeling that urge to like impart, you know, the wisdom that you gained from going through this. I mean, I have that so much in my life now. It's a huge gift to be five years out because there's so many people who know me now that didn't even know me then and just 
wouldn't necessarily even know that part of my story without me telling them, which is equal parts refreshing and exciting, but also can be really challenging because it's always trying to find that line of how much do I share? How much do I, you know, tell people? Um, But in terms of people who have, you know, gotten diagnosed since I have and trying to find that line of, yeah, how do you connect with people walking through something similarly? Um, I've been a part of a young adult support group for probably like six years now. I think I went um, a year or so after I was diagnosed and I've met a lot of people through that who have had really similar journeys to me, but also really different. And I think that's been really good for me to see the variety of cancer firsthand and to navigate what to say, what not to say, like in those experiences, right? It's really hard when you're in a room filled with people with these really complex diagnoses. And at the same time, someone is having a really exciting day because they just got great news that they're in remission while at the same time, your other friend on the other side of the room is like, their treatment's not going well. They're not sure if there's other options. Um, And so I think I just really learned through having a lot of different friends with cancer or who have had cancer in the past um, to just hold space for everybody's journey and to, what you were saying to not um, assume how they feel or right. Like the whole stage four versus stage two, like do not at least it's only stage two to anyone. I think that's just a huge thing that I want to emphasize is that um, yeah, everybody's experience is so different. I'm sure that there will be, listeners who resonate with what we say on this podcast and listeners who think we have the total wrong approach. Cause like you just said, everyone feels differently about what they're going through. Um, mm-hmm. I sometimes feel like on this podcast, we've been saying a lot of what not to say, kind of like what not to wear. <laughs> and that is part of what we're trying to do, but I really want the root of this to be education. Mm. Um, I've heard the phrase, instead of calling somebody out when they make a mistake, you call them in. Um, I'll have to look up who said that and put it in the show notes. I believe it was in regards to like racial reconciliation stuff. Mm. Um, But that's just been a helpful reframe for me about, you know, when somebody messes up or hurts you with something they say in particular, instead of calling them out, You know, we think of that as like a pointing and being like, hey, like you stink. You just said this. Call someone in, help them understand. Hey, like that didn't really rub me the right way. And here's why. And my hope is that that's the tone of this podcast is that we're Mm -hmm. calling people in to say, hey, we've seen a lot of misinformation about cancer, a lot of assumptions about cancer as we've walked this road. And we want to share our journey to a help other people feel seen and laugh a little bit about the crazy stuff people say to you and b like educate people who haven't been super close to someone with cancer and maybe 
always feel like they never quite know what to say and have felt like they said the wrong thing, but aren't really sure why that type of stuff. So I hope that people feel called in as they listen with us. Um, Speaking of that racial reconciliation, though, one thing I want to touch on before we go is the disparities that exist in cancer treatment. Uh, I'm sure it's not a newsflash to anyone that in the scientific community, most studies for decades were done on white, straight men. So any group outside of that, women, different racial and ethnic minorities, um, even different religions that like practice different things that affect their bodies, people of different um, gender and sexual orientations haven't been studied in the same way that straight white men have. Um, And so sometimes our treatments are not as applicable to these groups. And you see this um, also when you look at transplants, Um, you guys might've heard of something called like be the match where you can register to be a bone marrow donor for a stranger. If you guys happen to match, we have such a need for, um, racially and ethnically diverse donors. Um, because again, like we're such a, we're rooted in the scientific community unfairly in whiteness. So, um, that is a piece as we talk about the variety of cancer that I want to, addressed here. So I just wanted to call that out and say that next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, It's 4th of July next week. And so we thought we would do an episode on the American healthcare system. Um, We are in the United States of America. I can't remember if we specifically said that before. Uh, But that's a very specific place in the world when you compare our healthcare to healthcare all over the world, um, the UK, you know, China, Taiwan, all over. So we're going to kind of, again, stay on this educational theme next week. Again, we will share personal experience within the American healthcare system, me being on the nursing side of that and my sister on the patient side. And then also a little bit zooming out on where American healthcare gets some things right, where it has some struggles, especially for the cancer community, and what happens to people in other countries. So if you're listening to this in real time, we'd love to have your questions. You could go over to at my sister's cancer on Instagram and shoot some questions to us in um, direct messages or a comment on our post for this episode. Um, And we can try to cover those. Because I think the healthcare system is scary and overwhelming um, when you first enter it, especially if you've been a like once a year doctor visit, always healthy kind of person. And so we thought next week would be a good week to talk about that. Thanks for listening and we hope you have a wonderful week.